Welcome to the Center Branch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Well, last week we, we started a series that we're calling Whatever It Takes, and that's, that's the attitude that we want to have as we serve the Lord. That a seeking God's kingdom above anything else, a heart that's completely yielded, completely surrendered to whatever God would ask us to do. That it would be impossible for God to ask something of us, to give some direction, and for him to be able to find something that's too hard, too far, God, you've asked too much. That it would be impossible for him to do that because we are completely, 100% surrendered to the Lord. As we follow Jesus, we don't want to be lukewarm, we don't want to be kind of wishy-washy, somewhat committed. If we're going to follow him, let's just be all in on being people that follow Jesus. Amen. Or just say no. Because that that amen sounded more like, no, that's not me. I'm lean more towards the lukewarm side of things. I'm being honest. If we're going to serve him, let's serve him with all of our hearts or not serve him at all. In fact, that's what Jesus says. That's his preference. I would that you be hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, I'll just get rid of you altogether. So we want to cultivate that kind of heart in our lives, in our church, that it's whatever it takes. Jesus, whatever you ask of me, that's exactly what I'm willing to do. And last week, we started looking at the life of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, where, where God asks Abraham to take a significant step of faith. God asked Abraham to leave everything that he knows, to leave home, to leave everything that was safety and security, his inheritance, his livelihood, to step away from what life was like for those first 75 years of living and step into what was really an unknown. But when God asked him to do that, to take that step of faith, God wasn't asking him just to put Abraham in a a difficult situation or to see how much he was willing to suffer. Those first few verses of Genesis chapter 12 where God says, hey, I want you to leave your father's house, go where I'm going to show you. Then God begins to tell him all the things that he wanted to do for Abraham. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless you and I'm going to, I'm going to transform you to where you are a blessing. In fact, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. That's, that's what God's heart was for Abraham and his family, not to get something from him, but to put him in a position where God could begin to do what he wanted to do. But God works in our lives through faith and faith is expressed through obedience. That, that's what we talked about last week. Obedience and faith are not just some uh, ethereal, theological concept. It's actually acting on what God instructs us to do. You can demonstrate your faith through obedience, and that's what Abraham did. We said it's the same thing in our lives. God wants to bless you. God wants to transform you into a blessing. You, You, your family, this church family, his heart is to bless us, but the way that we step into that is by demonstrating faith through obedience. What what an incredible transformation, not not just to be blessed, but to be a blessing. That's what I want in my life. When I'm around people, for them not just to be able to say, man, that guy is blessed. That's a good place to be where people can look at you and say, he's blessed. Boy, she is blessed. I want to step to a deeper place of when people are around me say, man, he's a blessing. That a blessing in my life overflows. And it's not just about me being blessed. I am a blessing to the people. That's what God wants to take each one of us. But we take those steps through faith and we demonstrate faith through obedience. 
know, if you think about Abraham, if he would have said, you know what, God, I really like you. I'm willing to worship. I'm willing to sing some songs on occasion. I'm, you know, I'm a fan of you. I really like you. But what you're asking me to, to let go of what, you know, safety and security, to let go of some possessions, you know, you're, you're asking too much. In his natural mind, that would be wisdom. I don't want to let go of the things that I have. But God's heart was not just to leave him empty-handed. He was just getting him cleared up so God could give him something above and beyond anything he could ask or imagine. It would have been foolishness for him to cling to those temporary things, the things that he already had, when God was trying to position him to receive more. It's the same thing in our lives. That when God asks us to let go, God gives us instruction. He's just trying to position us to take us to a higher level, a deeper level, a greater level. And so that's what we're talking about in this series. We're going to continue to talk this morning. Before we do that, would you pray with me? Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for your presence here this morning. And God, I ask that you would bless us with eyes to see. Bless us with hearts that are hearing hearts. Father, give us a spirit of revelation and understanding that we could know you more. Flood our hearts with light. Anything that we cling to, Father, it's not of you. That we would loosen our grips on it. Be completely surrendered, obedient, yielded to you. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you've ever driven in Pittsburgh or not, but if you have, then maybe you can identify with some of the situations that driving in Pittsburgh puts you in, maybe even some of the emotions that driving in Pittsburgh can stir up in you as, as you drive. And it's not, it's not all bad. There are some, some ways that they have traffic routed in Pittsburgh. It's actually pretty neat and can you know, almost cause awe if you've ever approached Pittsburgh from the side where you come through the tunnel and you can't see the skyline or anything. Because a lot of cities, you can see the skyline from a long ways away. You just gradually approach it. But when you approach Pittsburgh through that tunnel, you can't see anything until you pop out the other side. And, and there it is. You're downtown. And the buildings are right there. And it's kind of breathtaking and really neat to, to come through. So the way that they have the traffic arranged that way, it's, it's clear. Man, Pittsburgh is right there. It's so obvious. It's re- really neat. But then there's other ways that they route traffic in Pittsburgh. It's been my experience that it doesn't always stir up awe and a sense of grandeur, but it stirs up stress and anxiety and frustration. What in the world is going, going on? I, I've, I've merged onto a road that sometimes they've got a lot of roads like running together and you've got to pay attention to the signs. Merge onto a road from one side and feel like you've got about 20 feet to then exit on the, on the other side and fight through traffic and get over there. Some of the exits, when you get off of the exit, you finally find, okay, this is the exit that I need, and you get off on the exit, and it's like the exits have exits, and it just keeps on bran- branching off, and you're not sure what in the world you're doing, and all of the, the bridges and things like that. But sometimes it's really clear how, you, how you're driving what you need to do, and other times it's very, very unclear and, and frustrating. Well, that's sort of like decisions in life, that sometimes we have decisions that are very obvious and very clear, and then other times where it is less clear and cause, can cause stress and anxiety. But how many know it's important the way that you handle decisions in life, that we need to make wise, godly decisions? And decisions, I mean, they, it affects everything. One of my favorite parts when we were working with youth was when they would become seniors or, or graduate from high school and start thinking about 
where they're going to go to school or what career they wanted to pursue or whether they were called into ministry or not. I love trying to help people navigate through those big decisions because those are decisions that are really going to have long-term effects. Who who I marry, all those kinds of things that in that season of life people are figuring out because you're you're setting off. It's not just a a temporary thing. You're putting yourself on a course that's going to have long-term consequences. And really, that's how all decisions are. Decisions have long-term consequences. That the decisions you and I make today are creating the reality that we're going to live in tomorrow. That the reality we have today in very large part has been formed and created by the decisions we made yesterday or a year ago or for some of us decades ago that we're still living either for the good or the bad in the results or the consequences of those, of those decisions. And there's all kinds of examples that we could use. Uh, 21 years ago, I, I married Beth. And I, every day since then, has been affected. I'm living in the... the con- this is a good example, by the way. This isn't like negative... I've been dealing with this for 21 years. This is good, good results from a decision that I continue to abundantly harvest. I, I tried to turn that one around. I'm not sure. But we, we make decisions, and then you, you continue to live in the after effects of those decisions. And a lot of times people will make choices and even though they'll know this isn't the best choice, it's not the wisest choice, I'll try to get straightened out later on and they underestimate the long-term consequences uh, of those decisions. Decisions are important. So we're gonna continue to look at the life of Abraham and talk about how to make godly decisions. If you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13, we'll start reading in verse 1. It says, Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him, to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. We'll keep reading, but it's important that he tells us how Abram was rich. That the blessing is already starting to manifest in his life. And he wasn't, he wasn't, rich just in peace and joy and tranquility. I'm sure he had those, but the blessing of God was, was, was manifesting in every area of his life. That is his gold, his silver, his livestock. He was seeing that blessing show up everywhere in his life. So if we're tempted to over-spiritualize the blessing that came on Abraham, he helps us see very clearly it was a blessing that even pagan people who had no sensitivity to the things of God could see that that man was blessed. Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold, and he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them, that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram Later, his name's changed to Abraham, and Lot, his nephew, are traveling together, 
And the blessing of God is just increasing in their life till they get to the point where the land can't support both of them because their flocks and their herds just continue to increase. This isn't what we're talking about specifically this morning, but since we read that passage, I just want to mention it for a moment. The law of association is so important in our lives that who you spend time with has such long-lasting ripple effects in in our lives. You can see that Lot, he was just a tag-along from chapter 12 when God called Abram, Lot decided to go along. And because he was a man, Abram was a man walking in the blessing of God and Lot linked up with him, that he he was walking in a very similar blessing through the law of association. And the Bible is filled with with verses that bring this to our attention, it's important who you spend time with. That the, the, a man who walks with the wise, what happens to him? He, be, he becomes wise, not through study and diligence, just by spending time with a wise person. But a companion of fools is destroyed. You spend time with a fool, you have the same fate as they do. The Bible says not to spend time with an angry man because you will learn his ways. It's filled with that kind of wisdom that who you spend time with matters. There is a law of association. Just last week, we, we had our Connect Group launch. It's not too late to sign up for a connect group, a family within the family. It's important that you spend time with other men and women that love God and want to grow closer with him. And you can be specific about it. If there's an area of need in your life, I know I need to improve in this area. Find people that are are living out what you want to be living out and link up with them. Marriage is a good example. If your marriage is struggling and you know, I want to have a marriage that is flourishing and healthy and strong, and you know some people in the church that have marriages that are healthy and strong and flourishing, work to be around those people and and absorb how it's done. Let it be imparted to you. See how they treat one another. Use the law of association to your benefit because the enemy always tries to flip it around and use what God has established to destroy people's lives when really God created the law of association to, to elevate you and to help you grow as men and women of God. So Lot is spending time with Abram, but they get to a point where a decision has to be made. They've got to make a decision. There is a problem. It's a good problem, but even with good problems, you you have to make a decision. So let's continue reading. Verse eight. So Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go toward Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. So a decision has to be made, and it's easy to read through this, and a lot of us are very familiar with this passage of Scripture, just to read through it and follow the story on. But there's, there's some great insights about how these decisions were made, how each man handled the decision, and what that looked like as that decision continued to play out in their life. Here, Abram takes the initiative. A problem's 
got to be solved. We've got to make a decision. He takes the initiative and he lets Lot decide. He pulls Lot aside and says, hey, uh, we, you know, we got to make a choice here. Tell you what, I've thought it through and I've decided y- you pick. Look around. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. You go to the right, I'll go to the left. And he lets, he lets Lot decide. Now, Abram had every right to make that choice himself. He was the one that was leading this expedition. Lot, Lot was just a tag along. He's the older member of the group. He's the uncle, and Lot is the the nephew. He had every right to make that decision and say, I'm going to take what's greener, I'm going to take what's better, but he didn't. He handled this decision in a way that shows where his faith is and where his trust is. Abram knew that his blessing wasn't coming from having the better soil available to him. His blessing was coming from the hand of God. He knew it didn't matter, man, if I take the hill country, it's going to put me in a bad spot. He knew as long as I'm walking with God, I'm going to be blessed wherever I go. I'm not blessed because I'm a particularly good farmer or herdsman. I'm blessed because God said I'm going to be blessed and be a blessing to other people. He wasn't naive about which land was better. It's not as though he, he could, just couldn't decide, man, there's brown land over there, really green land. I, I don't know. I'm not sure which one's better. Lot, you come and, and you, would you just kind of make up my mind for me? He knew what was better, but his trust was in God. He wanted to be gracious and giving and let somebody else go before him. He, he wanted to be kind, but he also wanted to put on display his trust was in God, not in having the superior piece uh, of land. It's the same way with us. It's the same way in our life. Our decisions will reveal what kind of men, what kind of women we are, where our trust is really placed. We can claim a lot of things, but when we come up to a decision, how we handle that brings a revelation of where our trust really is and what we really honestly value. It was reflected in how Lot handled his decision as well. Abram made a decision, and now Lot has a decision. It says that he looked around at the land. He saw that one was green, one was well-watered. It was like the garden of the Lord. And it says in verse 11, it says that he chose for himself. That when he made that decision, he had one person in mind. He made that decision on what's best for me. He was just looking at what, what, is, what is most lucrative, what's going to benefit me in the short term. That's, he was walking completely by sight as he made this decision. This, I mean, I'm going to be able to cash in if I take this path in my life. He had like dollar signs in his eyes. He was walking by a material things, walking by natural, walking by sight, at, whereas Abram was walking with his faith in his trust, not in things, not in good situation. His trust was completely in the Lord. As you read through this story, and again, most of you are familiar with it, this doesn't seem like a, a particularly significant moment. But you can follow the paths that these men take and where they end up and what their life looks like down the road and trace it all back to this decision that's being made right here. And we're talking about the roots of that decision. One decision was being made saying, God, my trust is in you. You are my source. You're my provider. God, you are my portion. As long as I have you. And the other decision was made with eyes on the temporary, eyes on the material, eyes on, eyes on the natural. This decision was made as a result of wealth, right? They they had so much that it caused them to make a decision. Having an abundance 
creates more decisions and, and decisions are revealing. They try us, they test us, how we handle each one. It brings things to the surface. And you and I, whether you think of yourself this way or not, we are wealthy, we're, we're blessed. If you look at your household income on, on a global level, you're probably in the top 5% of people on the planet. Most definitely in the top 10%. So you might not think of yourself as wealthy when you compare yourself to someone else you know, but globally speaking, we are wealthy and that creates a lot of decisions that we have to make. Even on a small scale, just what you're going to do after service today for lunch. This is a big decision for a lot of people. What do you want to eat? I don't know, what do you want to eat? You want to just get something and go home and make something? I don't know. What about this restaurant? I don't know, what about that restaurant? You've got all kinds of decisions. Why do you have so many choices when it comes to something as simple as lunch? Because you're blessed, because you have, you have an abundance. It's not, the decision isn't uh, rice or nothing. That's, that's some people's decision. Or some people don't even have, it's, it's just nothing. Because wealth has provided you a lot of decisions that need to be made. People wrestle with the decision of what they're gonna do for vacation. Do you wanna go to Hilton Head? Do you wanna go to Myrtle Beach? I don't know, do you wanna try something different? We always go to those two places. Those are, those are decisions that people with wealth, it opens up all kinds of decisions. And I'm, I'm just using this as example because people usually don't think of themselves as wealthy. Wealth provides opportunity, decisions must be made and decisions often will try us and test us. How are you handling the decisions that you're making with whatever level you're at with what God has put in your hand? What is your thought process? What are those decisions based on? Are you more like Lot or are you more like Abram? How is that reflected in your decisions? This decision was made as a, a result of wealth. Some people think, I mean, I would like to have to make those kinds of decisions, have to pick up and move because the land can't even support. I've got so much abundance that I've got to decide where I'm going, where I'm going to go. Maybe you're not making that kind of decision, but how are you handling the decisions that you do make regarding your finances, regarding what God has put in your hand? Some people think I, I would be giving and demonstrate trust for God if I had that level of wealth like Abram had. But are you demonstrating generosity and kindness and trust for God at the level you are currently at. Jesus said, if you're faithful with little, you'll be faithful with much. And if you're not faithful with little, then you, you won't be faithful with much. So when you start thinking, when I, when I have an abundance, then it would be so easy for me to be generous. It'd be so easy to show that I trust God and make those kind of decisions. Not according to what Jesus said. Jesus said that's really almost a, a side thing. It comes back to your heart, not how much you have, if I have a little or I have a much. That's not what the decision is based on. It's based on what's going on in your heart. So how we handle our money is really reflective of what's going on in our heart. And the way you make decisions reveals where your trust is and what you value. And decisions always have consequences. Decisions have consequences, results. There's something that happens that comes from your decision. Again, Abram made a decision based on faith, based on trust, based on wanting to be generous and kind and giving. And in the moment, it looked like he had the worst end of the deal. One guy got the better farmland, and it was as though, if I'm going to honor God, then I guess I'm gonna to have to take the, the lesser 
If I'm going to, I want to honor God, but I guess that means I'm relegated to second place or not the best. But if you follow the life of Abram, he didn't suffer at all as a result of honoring, of honoring God. It didn't set him back at all. The blessing, because he knew the blessing of God was on his life. And that was his source. When you and I make decisions to trust God and honor God, don't buy into the mindset that I want to trust God, but I know that means that I'm going to have to suffer in these areas. And if I've trust God, that means it's going to cost me here and cost me there. God wants his blessing on you. And when you make a point to put your faith and your trust in him, he'll make sure that blessing shows up in your life. That's what was true with Abram. It wasn't as though, well, one man's going to get to be blessed in the nice green grass and one's going to be known as someone who trusted God, but he's going to go without. It didn't, it didn't hurt him to walk in faith and trust in God. You know, I was, I was with a group of ministers one time and there was a man that was speaking to us and he was from Vietnam and he was talking about how the Christians where he lived were being persecuted. And there was a, a village of Christians. They were mostly farmers and people that were persecuting them came and said, if you don't deny Jesus, we're going to take your land from you and we're going to make you have to move away. And they refused to deny Jesus. They're going to walk in trust, walk in faith, handle that decision in faith and honoring God. And so they took their land from them and then designated a, a piece of land up in the mountains where they knew nothing could grow. And really, by giving them this other piece of land, what they're trying to do is kill them. We're going to send them up in the mountains and starve them to death. Because it was known that people tried to grow stuff up there, just nothing would grow. So these Christians left, left their homes, went to this land that they were sent to, and they started to farm the land. And, and something happened that as they were farming the land, that land began to produce like never before. It started to bring forth crops and they were experiencing the same blessing they had in their village. Now that they're in this, this garbage, rocky soil because their, their source wasn't the quality of the soil. Their source was in God. There's people that are making decisions now. As you make decisions, you've got the decision reveals what you really trust and what you acknowledge to be your source and wait and you make decisions acknowledging, listen, my, my source isn't that boss, isn't that job. My source is God and God alone. And I will not violate my trust that I put in him. You're not going to be set back for that. God will keep his hand on you and make sure that you experience the blessing of God. Amen. Amen. Decisions have consequences. They have results. You can see it in Abram's life. Follow the life of Abram from this moment and see if things went up for him or down from him. And you can see it in Lot's life as well. Lot made a decision for himself, made a decision based on luxury, what was going to be a quick payoff, what would keep him most comfortable, most secure. He was thinking of himself. In verse 13, it says that he pitched his tent towards Sodom. Verse 13, but the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against God. Think of this. Well, why does it include that for us? He made a decision along those lines, and whether he realized it or not, it was a step towards wickedness. And if you follow the light of Lot, you know that eventually he ends up living in Sodom and Gomorrah. God decides to destroy those cities, but be merciful to Lot and his family and get them out, but end up costing him his wife, 
His wife was turned into a pillar of salt. The end of Lot's life has him living in a cave, essentially being raped by his daughters so that they would be able to have some kind of offspring. Just a a shameful, embarrassing ending to his life. God had more for that, for his life. But he ended up there, and you you can trace that decision all the way back to what we just read in Genesis chapter 13, where he made a selfish, greedy, temporary focused decision, and that set his life on a course that ended up costing him his marriage, costing him his children. It affected his whole family, the consequences of that one decision. The decisions you and I make are so important and they have long lasting consequences that a lot of times we we don't even think it through. I I mentioned earlier, people will make decisions and think, you know what, I'm just going to ask for forgiveness later on. Maybe Lot thought along those lines. I know this is kind of selfish. I know it's kind of greedy. Now, I know it's just totally temporary, but I, I'll take the green land. I'll, I'll take it, and I'll just ask God to forgive me later. He, he underestimated the consequences of the decision that he was making and where, where that one step is going to lead us. So even in things that don't seem to be that consequential, that we make decisions, God, I'm going to honor you. Even this is a small thing. I want to honor you. I want to honor you. I want, I want to show that I trust you, that I value the things of God, that I make decisions based on your word. Because even if it looks like I'm going to trust God, but it looks like I'm stepping into a less secure situation. Abram continued to know the blessing of God. That man from Vietnam, those people continue to know the blessing of God. The Bible says in Isaiah 51 that God can turn deserts into gardens, whether literally or figuratively. God can take what doesn't look good. And as a result of you being there, you being blessed, it can change the whole environment based on the decisions that we make. Let's continue reading. Verse 14, it says, And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which you see I give you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. That's Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, being lived out to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. God makes a point as soon as Lot, they separate, he's made his decision. God shows up and tells him, listen, you, you haven't sacrificed a thing by choosing to honor me. By putting your faith and your trust in me, you haven't given up any land. I want to remind you, it's all yours. Look north, look south, look east, look west, look at the green grass, look at the brown grass. I'm giving it, I'm all belongs to you you. You've chose to honor me and it hasn't set you back at all. When we decide I'm going to walk according to the things of God, I want to be generous. I want to be kind. I want to honor him in all of my, my decisions. It doesn't cost you. It sets you up to experience the blessing of God. The Bible says those who refresh others, they actually end up being the one that gets refreshed. So when you compare Abraham's life and Lot's life, and where they ended up. One, being the father of many nations, the father of faith, the one that Jesus came through his lineage, versus Lot, who ended up in a cave committing incest while his daughters got him drunk. He lost his wife, lost his home. He lost all the things that he was trying to cling to and make decisions accordingly. He lost it all. 
When you compare those two outcomes and then trace it back that one man was making decisions, God, you're my everything. God, my trust is in you. And the other, greedy, selfish, short-term decisions. You can see the results. We want to make godly, wise decisions. Let, let me give you just a few easy guidelines for making decisions. If you're taking notes, you can jot them down. When we're making decisions, we want to look beyond the immediate. Look beyond the immediate and don't overestimate the benefits promised. Don't overestimate the benefit that you're going to experience. Like a child that eats too much ice cream or too much candy, overestimates the benefit, not thinking about the tummy ache that they're gonna have later on. Not just children, like me, when I, when I eat too much ice cream and don't think through the, the consequences. Right, so, so Abraham and Lot are examples. David and Bathsheba are another example. That there was short-term benefits, something he wanted to experience, something, literally, he wanted to get his hands on that, Sorry, that, that you're, you're, you're with me, right? There was a short-term benefit in the moment that he, that's what he was focused on. He overestimated whatever joy, whatever pleasure was in that moment. He overestimated that and didn't think through the long-term consequences uh, of his decision. So when we fixate on what we're going to get, enjoy and overplay that in our mind, it leads to bad decision-making. So don't overestimate the short-term blessing. And second point, don't underestimate the long-term consequences of a bad decision. Don't underestimate, just like Lot, even if he knew it was a bad decision, David knew it was a bad decision to sleep with some other man's wife, he knew that, but he underestimated, he thought he could probably just brush it under the rug, he ended up having to have her husband killed, ended up costing him the life of his son, it was born to Bathsheba. There was long-term consequences. He underestimated all of that, focusing on the short-term. So one, don't overestimate the benefits. Don't underestimate the consequences or the impact of a bad decision. Number three, think about others before you think of yourself. When you're making decisions, think about others. Think about other people. That was Lot's problem. It says he made that decision. He chose for himself. The Bible says to do nothing to do nothing out of vain ambition, selfish ambition, nothing. So that, that shouldn't be the root of our decision-making, not to do things out of selfish ambition. So when I'm making a decision, when you're making a decision, think about other people and how it affects them. What, how can I be the greatest blessing to others? So when we make decisions, I'll give you some steps. Pray, pray, seek the face of God. Take time to hear from God. Genuinely pray. It's about work, it's about finances, it's about a relationship, it's about an opportunity. Take time to pray about it and hear from God. Second thing is to search the scriptures. Search the scriptures. What does God's word have to say about it? Let him speak to you from his word. Number three, get godly counsel. Get godly counsel. 
you can find someone that's going to tell you what you want to hear. We all have people we know. We have a decision to make. I, find, I know if I present it to this person in this light and live out these three details, they're going to tell me what I want to hear. Get people that love you enough and are godly enough. They're going to speak the truth to you and tell you that's a bad decision. It's a good decision. They're going to tell you the truth. People who have experience, people that you know are sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Again, this is why having a family within the family is so important. People that know you better than just a, a handshake and a how do you do. People that you're, you're doing life with. People that you, you've built relationship bridges strong enough that they can speak the truth. They know your situation. You're comfortable opening up and saying, hey, here's what's going on in my marriage. Here's what's going on at work. Here's what's going on in my finances. I, I really need you to speak into this. What should I do? How should I handle this? And people that you trust that when, when they speak and they give you wisdom, that you actually act on it. That, that's the next step, to act. Don't just accumulate wisdom and spend time in prayer. Act. Last week, I gave you the acrostic plow. We said we're going to plow our hearts, prepare our hearts, till the soil of our hearts. And each one of those letters, P-L-O-W, stood for pray. We want to pray. We want to listen. When we hear, we want to obey. That's what Abraham did. Listen to the voice of God. When God spoke, he was obedient, and the W is for wow, that God brings amazing results when we just continue to keep ourselves yielded, completely surrendered to him. So this applies in every area of life, but in this series specifically, we're plowing our hearts considering our, our giving heading into next year. God, what would you have me give? How do you want me to handle my finances going into this, this next year? Speak to my heart. We want to be yielded and obedient. In fact, October 24th, three weeks from today, that Sunday, we're, we're going to make commitments, give, give you an opportunity to make a commitment, pray with your husband, pray with your wife, pray with your whole family, maybe just you on your own seeking God's face, hear from God, and then we're going to make commitments on, on that Sunday, commitment Sunday of how we're going to give heading into next year. Giving is, is so closely linked with discipleship and development, and you can see where people are in their yieldedness and their surrender to the Lord with how they handle their finances. On our bulletins every week, we have our giving ladder, just different steps in giving. If you've ever noticed that on the back of the bulletin, it, the first step is to become a first-time giver. If you've never given before, that first step, you, you've got to give for the first time at, at some point. And then people take another step in development to be an, a, an occasional giver. Another step beyond that is to be a consistent tither. There's a step beyond that to give above and beyond the tithe. Uh, a kingdom builder is what we call it, above and beyond. But those are all steps on a, a pathway, a, a ladder of developing that area of our lives. And I want to give you just a few questions or, or, or lenses that people think through. You can really see how the way people think regarding their stuff, regarding their money, is reflective of their relationship with the Lord and how they handle what he has entrusted them with. So the first level that people are at is that they think through the filter of the question, what should I do with my stuff? It's level one. What should I do with my stuff? It's just a very natural way of thinking. How should I handle what my paycheck, my, my possessions? What should I do with my stuff? And then as they grow, as they develop, as they mature, or maybe when they come into relationship with Jesus, 
They learn some things. There's a step forward that you no longer see it as your stuff. You find verses like where it says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And you begin to see, you know what? Everything I have actually is from God. I'm a steward of it. So something changes in that lens. It's a step forward. It's no longer, what should I do with my stuff? But you start thinking in terms of what, what should I do with God's stuff? What should I do with God's stuff? And it's a different lens. It's a step in maturity. And then you start to think, well, if it's God's stuff, if it really belongs to him, then he probably has something to say about what I should be, what I should be doing with it. So you advance to, what, what would God have me do with, with God's stuff? Are you, are you seeing the development, the way people think of their finance? What do I do with my stuff? What do I do with God's stuff? God, what would you have me do with with my stuff. It's continued. We want to get to a point where we're surrendered and yielded. God, everything I have is yours, but it takes sometimes a, a development to happen in people's lives. God, what would you have me do with my stuff? A step beyond that. But God, what would you have me give from what you've provided for me and my family? that the heart continues to change and mature. Now it's looking to give. Father, what can I give? Where would you have me give? It's, it's a generous giving heart. The development continues. And then one word changes. What would you have me give from what you've provided to me and my family? What would you have me keep? Completely surrendered. It's no longer looking for the portion to give away. But what, what little portion of this would you have me live on and keep as I give everything else. It completely belongs to you. You just tell me what portion of this you want me to have. Everything else is yours. And it just flips the lens of how we view things. It's discipleship. It's growth. It's re regarding giving and money. The reason the enemy fights people and causes people to get upset when churches talk about money, it's not money. It wants to, to stop people's growth and development and get you thinking, it's just fine for you to think of what do I do with my stuff. It's not about stuff, it's about keeping you from growing in your walk, in your walk with the Lord. So I wanna to continue to pray along those lines. Father, what would you have me give? Father, what step would you have me take? Again, three weeks from today, we'll make those commitments. But I just wanna to continue to challenge you to be praying with your spouse, pray with your family, come into agreement, genuinely hear from God. Moving into this next year, what would you have me give? A lot of people are tithers. That's a great place to be. But some of you have been tithing since you were seven years old. It might be another step to go beyond that. Continued development, continued yieldness. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.